It's like everybody that gets hired, there's this list of people to hire, CFO, check, CMO, definitely need to market our brands. It's huge that we market. We need to spend millions and millions of dollars marketing it. And then the 24th person is, oh yeah, maybe we should make sure our product is safe. Should we get somebody who does something in food safety? Oh yeah. And so they create these amazing brands and then they kill it because they're not actually protecting their brand. Everybody's got to eat, and nobody likes getting sick. That's why heroes toil in the shadows, keeping your food safe at all points, from the supply chain to the point of sale. Join industry veterans Francine L. Shaw and Matt Ragusi for a deep dive into food safety. It all boils down to one golden rule. Don't eat poop. Don't eat poop. Hello, hello, Francine. Hey, Matt. Wow. It's been a while. It has been a while. Yeah. I have my really nice voice right now because I've been dying for the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I know you, you have been sick. You have been sick. Yeah. Multiple different things. And it's because my house is like a cesspool of diseases, having so many children. And then the whole entire, like everything's cold and dreary and yeah. But I think it ended up being a science infection. I'm on antibiotics, so should be better. My husband is sick as well. He has been sick too, so I understand. Everybody is, man. It's going around. Yeah, my son came back from Germany. He's in the army. He's in a base in Germany. And like the week before he came home, he had COVID. He was like in quarantine for five days. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he's stay away from me, everybody. Right, right. So it's good to have him home. Yes. Yeah. I have 11 kids in my house right now. Wow. So all my kids plus my foster baby. Yeah. 11 kids. That I is, had to kick a kid out in order to do this podcast. That Wake is up. Move. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> 11 children. It's going to be fun. Christmas is going to be fun. I'm going to have 14 people at my house for Christmas. Just between kids, all the different kids and their girlfriends, boyfriends, all that stuff. That's fun, though. That's super fun. They're all funny. That's fun. All my kids, they're hilarious. They have our sense of humor and, yeah, and our filter, which is... <laughs> Non-existent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so great to have them talk crap to me, right? They're giving, they're jabbing me and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this is good. Good. <laughs> what are your plans for Christmas? So typically my daughter comes home with my granddaughter on Christmas Eve and they spend the night. And then the last few years we have gone to my son's house on Christmas day. Well, that's the plan. But last year my son and his family got COVID. So that got moved to new year's and I was just, talking to my son, texting, and they go away a couple weeks before they go to see her family in West Virginia. And last year they came home sick and they're sick again. They came home and they're sick again. So I don't oh, know. No. I, don't, I don't know if they'll be better by Christmas or, or not, but they're really sick. So like text- stomach flu sick, like they ate something wrong or is it? I know. I think it's more of the 
whatever it is that's going yeah. going around, just like wiped out, don't feel good, the yuck kind of sick. So yeah, I don't know. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm going to take them dinner tonight. And there you go. Hopefully, hopefully they'll get better. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I feel bad. The entire family's sick. Yeah, it'll yeah. be fun. I'm excited. Like having everybody and we go to church Christmas Eve and then Christmas day, just hang out and open up presents and then play with everything. So I love Christmas because I love playing with all my kids toys. <laughs> I don't know if yeah. anybody else is like that, building the toys, playing with the toys. Right. Right. So yeah, the day after Christmas we have, they come to my house, I cook, but yeah, I really miss my kids being younger. I mean, I have grandchildren and they're from, you know, two to 14, but there's, you know, the dynamic as adults, I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. We still spend time together and I enjoy that time together, but having all those kids. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of witnessing it. Christmas from the kids eyes is fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, our show today is we are going to be making predictions for 2024. What is going to happen in the food safety world? 2024. We get to pull our crystal ball out. Right. Right. And I think we need to kind of look back at 2023 a little bit to talk about that. Oh, that's a good point. So what do you want to bring up for 2023 that will help with the prediction for 2024? Well, I think there's probably a couple things that we should look back at. I can remember before the documentary Poisoned was released, you said you asked me a pretty pivotal question, and that was, do you think it's going to have an impact on consumers? On consumers, and our opinions differed just a little bit on that. Yeah, and, and you were right, and I was wrong. And it was see, I was not going to go there. <laughs> I was not going to go there. <laughs> no, I've been married long enough. I understand. It's okay. It's good for um, you to know when you're right. <laughs> so you want to say it again? <laughs> so anyway, so you should tell them, remind everybody what was the prediction and how you were right and how I was wrong. So you didn't feel really that it was going to have much of an impact on consumers, that it was just going to be another one of those, you know, yeah, well, we saw it, it's over. And it really just wasn't going to have much of an impact. And I felt that it would, because there's a lot of information, really eye opening information in there, you know, and you can't help but be impacted by Darren's story and some of the other stories that are in there, you know, it makes it real. When people start talking about their real lives and getting sick and children dying, it, it just makes it very, very real. Yep. Um, so I felt that people, it would bring in the human element and that people would be able to relate to it and that it would have an impact. Yeah. And it has had an impact. And it really I, has. Uh, not just here, but globally, you know, people have watched that documentary and it was number one on. Netflix for a period of time. I think we're going to continue to see the effects from that for a little while, hopefully enough to make a little bit of a change in the consumer awareness and the demands of what they want and their expectations. And then you look at this last quarter of the year, I don't know what is going on with the cantaloupes and this morning it was formula again. And yep. you know, Giannis just posted formula again uh, in Europe. Yep. 
and spinach and the lead and the applesauce and, you know, all the craziness. And I've missed several Quaker oats and the granola bars. And and recalls aren't always bad. You know, recalls are sometimes... It's a process of the industry. You have to recall product for numerous different things. But yeah, these food safety outbreaks have been more intense and more numerous than I have seen in a very long time. And more varied, right? We all come into this season of time. We're like, oh, what leafy green outbreak are we going to have again this year? It's pretty much like clockwork. But to have that resurgence of cantaloupe outbreak, this time salmonella instead of listeria a decade later, that was huge and just kept getting unveiled deeper. And then having the applesauce with the cinnamon outbreak with just 2000 times the lead dose. My gosh, that was crazy. And now the FDA is saying that is food adulteration and Basically, Jonathan says it's a form of terrorism. I don't know if it's terrorism or if it's just somebody doing food fraud. Because I was trying to figure out why someone would add lead to cinnamon and maybe to increase the weight. And so they're increasing the weight so they can sell less cinnamon at actual cinnamon at a higher quantity of price due to weight. And by adding lead, I don't know. Because it's just, that'll be interesting to see what that case study unveils. But yeah, there's just so many different things. It's crazy. Right, right. And I think that when are we going to start focusing on the prevention side of it? We need to have a focus on prevention. And maybe we can, maybe we can do that in 2024. I don't know. (laughs) So you think that because of, I'm just trying to like flush out your prediction Do you think because of consumer awareness, because there's more of these, because of poisons and the consumer awareness of that, and because of just more catching of the outbreaks or more news on these outbreaks, that there's going to be some more insight or a microscope placed on more of the preventative type of measures that could be done? I think so, because consumers, you and I look at recalls maybe a bit differently than the average consumer. We know that many times it's good that they caught the air and a lot of them are due to like undeclared allergens. Yeah. Labeling issues. So consumers oftentimes perceive it as much more negative than it is. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's not a bad thing, but a lot of times it, it isn't because, you know, a product is necessarily going to kill or hurt somebody if it's consumed. They're recalling it as a preventative measure. That's the case right. in many, in the case of many recalls. So I think what will happen as a result of a lot of the press is consumers really want recalls to stop. They just, they want the recalls to stop and the air. They want the outbreaks to stop. stop. Well, the the outbreaks as well. I mean, and I should probably focus more on them than the recalls, but they're a result of the outbreaks as well. And the way to do that is to prevent whatever the issues are that's causing them. I mean, what's happening before this stuff gets to the market? Right. And the consumers, I believe, are going to be a driving force 
to make that happen. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think there's going to be a lot more interest on the consumer side. Whether that leads to more policy or anything like that changing, I'm not sure. And if that actually leads to something happening on the... I'm just thinking of how change happens within an industry. The food industry are a few things, right? One is market changes. Consumers buy certain things based upon perception of safety or healthiness or clean or whatever it is, right? Non-GMO, organic, safe food, that type of stuff, right? So that drives market change. Another thing that drives market change are actual customers' expectations. So retailers, food service, companies creating expectations that then the supply chain has to meet those changes in order to actually sell their product through the supply chain. And the other is regulatory. And so how consumer perception of food safety, will it hit one of those three things? Like they actually start making buying choices, which I don't know how they're going to do that other than just stopping to buy from companies that are that have outbreaks, right? And then if they do that, then then maybe that will shift. Or some new label for food safety. I don't know. That could be on there. I don't know. The, but it's how the consumers are going to change that. Other than policy, I wonder if we'll ever see, and this is not a prediction for 2024, because I don't think that this is going to be on the list, but maybe I'm wrong again, and I hope I am. But will we see people in Congress actually running on food safety? And then people can actually vote for people to go into Congress to make actual regulatory changes. That would be the other way at which consumers could do it. Or are they going to force the retailers and food service companies to do something? I don't know. But that's how. That's the only really way. And tell me if there's more ways, guys, our audience here, that we would see consumers change things. Francine, can you think of any other way? So I, I want to say something. Well, I would love to think that it would be like some kind of, you know, regulatory or policy measures might happen to control some of this. I don't, I think we agree that that probably isn't going to happen for a while, no. for a while. I think that the consumers are going to have to drive the industry to make, to make yeah. those changes. I think if, and when it happens, that's what will make the change. And I think it's their buying decisions that will do that. Yeah. That's, I agree. That's what I think. I agree. I see a big change in 2024 and traceability because I'm seeing it every single day in my work. Everybody's trying to come back to that regulatory thing. Every, all the major retailers and food service companies are trying to figure out how to make FISMA 204, which is Food Safety Modernization Act, the 204 rule, which is the new FDA food traceability rule, how to implement that. We just on we just recently had a press release with Cisco Foods saying that they're going to be utilizing our organization, iFoodDS and New Air Partners, and helping them figure out that solution. And Cisco with Sigma and FreshPoint provide... Six- Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, it's big news. 600,000 restaurants nationwide. 600,000. They have 100 distribution facilities. And so that's going to have a big impact on the industry. And I think that traceability is key. And as the industry learns to modernize and systematize their records, that these recalls will be done a lot faster. And so my 
prediction is that 2024 is going to be a huge momentous change internally that we won't see for a couple of years. We probably won't see till 2026, but that shift as everybody's starting to coalesce on that one solution or that one source of truth for traceability, that's going to have a huge effect in the future. And that's what everybody's trying to figure out this year and next year. So, so let me ask uh, you a question. Everything that you just talked about, and you and I both know this is a battle we've been fighting for a number of years. How easy is it to make all of those things happen without digitization? It's impossible. Because right now, almost every, every company has some sort of ERP system or warehouse management system or something like that. So the food is currently being received digitally like the food's not being received physically but the the actual information about the food is being received digitally throughout the supply chain already so it's now just capturing that information and making sure that it can be in the right spot when the fda needs it for their recalls for their outbreak inspections before the recall actually happens so there's this long process i just wrote an article it's going to post in january about how the fda and the cdc create their investigations. And it it could take what we said on the year before, they could take weeks to months for them to do their investigations. And that's before we even find, get any information on a recall. So product has been moving through the system and consumed, uh, consumed through restaurants or through retailers and at home for weeks, months before there is even a recall that comes out about the product. And we're talking about large-scale operations, right? Yes. Large-scale operations or much smaller operations where that's not the case, the digitization. Well, a lot of that, though, is exempt. If you're going to a grocery store or you're going to a restaurant, most of the time, it depends on the restaurant, right? Like some little tiny mom-and-pop ethnic restaurant might be buying from a terminal market or something like that. and But most of the time they're buying from a broadliner, a restaurant. So US Foods or Cisco or something like that. They would be tracking all that data electronically. But if they're going to the farm and buying it, or they're going to farmer's market and buying it, or they're going to a terminal market should have a way of electronically doing it, but they probably don't. Let's say that one, and I'm just being a devil's advocate. No, please. I I come from the real world. We we all know what. So (laughs) let's say that one of these national chains runs out of product and they run to the mom and pop market or produce stand next door. They run to, you know, and they hate to term mom and pop, but an independent restaurant and they grab something that, and they're not supposed to do that. They all are going to tell you that they have policies and procedures forbidding them from doing that. But let's say that happens. You yeah. know, they, they're not digital, you know? And so there's a lot of, I, I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying we still have a long way to come in as far as the digital world is concerned. And then the aftermarket as well, once it hits the door, there's still a lot of a long way to come in the digital world is my point. 100%. This is I've said this whole my whole entire career for 20 years. We can't solve for all the edge cases and the anomalies, but that doesn't mean that we have to be stuck in inertia. 
So we can't solve for everything all the time, 100% of the time. But if we can solve for 90%, 90% of the time, then that would alleviate a lot of the issues within the in FDA and CDC outbreak investigations and then ultimately lead to much cleaner recalls. No, and I agree with that. I agree 100%. Yeah. And so that's what that's basically what we're trying to do is solve for 90% of the products 90% of the time and then the other edge cases and anomalies will get worked out over the years so that it could come to 95 of the time. And then we, I say this all the time when we're consulting with particularly distribution facilities, they're trying to pick product and they're receiving product in pallets, right? Mm-hmm. There could be one to 10 lot codes on one pallet. If they're buying herbs, there could be multiple lot codes on that one pallet. And then they're, they're putting those into a pick slot, right? And then pickers are coming down and they're pulling pallets of product or they're pulling cases of product in to build pallets up for the grocery store or for the restaurant because they're not the grocery store and the restaurant are not buying whole pallets of lettuce they're not holding whole pallets of tomatoes they're buying five to ten cases at a time right because they don't want the product to rot in the process of, of before it gets consumed so you're building up a pallet well when that pallet now has just 10 cases on it left. Well, what they'll do is they'll bring another pallet down and they're putting those 10 cases on top of the other pallet. So you have mixed cases of or mixed pallets of product before you then mix the pallet that's being created. So how do you solve for that? Well, you solve for 90% of it, right? Let's not get hung up on trying to be 100% accurate. If you have to provide the FDA two or three LACOs that you possibly could have picked from, that's better than then not be able to provide them anything because you're trying to get 100%. So that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for the edge cases. We're looking for how do we solve 90% of the problem 90% of the time. What I think what and you that guys would doing, save thousands of lives. Right. Well, and I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And that wasn't about what you're doing in particular. That was like in general. The industry. Across the it's board. Just the, it industry. the industry. Yeah. Right. And there's hundreds of thousands of, there's 200,000 FDA light facilities and that's just the FDA. There's thousands and thousands more of USDA facilities that are providing food. And then there's a lot of companies that don't even have FDA numbers, right? They're growing their product and they're selling direct to grocery stores or selling direct to restaurants or selling direct to consumers. And so those are all, that's all outside of what we're doing. But yeah, that's still a lot of product. There's a lot of product that goes outside of those main channels. Right. A lot of opportunity. A yeah. tremendous amount of opportunity. What do you see in, in, in outbreaks? Do you think 2024 is going to be like 2023? We're just going to be having these massive outbreaks. Like the Canadian one from the kitchen that got all those, or the central kitchen at the daycare that got all those kids sick. So honestly, did I think I would be seeing spinach or the greens, the leafy greens, did I think I would still be seeing recalls of that in 2023? <laughs> no, I no. I would think we'd have our stuff together and we still wouldn't be <laughs> recalling that in 2023. Did I think there would be an outbreak? People would be dying from cantaloupe in 2023? No. So what do I see for 2024? A lot of the same, huh? Oh my God, I don't know. I'm afraid. I don't know. It's like all of this is 
we're never going to like stop it. Just like you said, we're never going to stop at all. There are right. always going to be foodborne illnesses. You can't stop all of it, but it's so easy to control most of it. It is so easy to control most of it. And it's so, I'm going to use the word infuriating when you find out after the months or weeks of research, depending on the case, what it came from. And it was because maybe somebody didn't wash their hands or in the case of hepatitis A, you know, maybe they would have got a vaccine, but they chose not to, which isn't a personal decision. But we all know that there are certain occupations where we should get vaccines if we're going to handle food or we're going to work in healthcare. So, like, nobody should ever get sick because somebody didn't freaking wash their hands. That's just, in my opinion, a given. It's going to be more of the same. We're ending 2023 with on a high. <laughs> I mean, I it's what do you think? I agree with you. It's going to be more of the same. I think we're going to see some of the same stuff. There's probably going to be an outbreak in salmonella and and E. coli and listeria and produce. And we're going to see some, probably some major outbreak in some central kitchen again, because those are the central kitchens are popping up and a lot. And I think that there is a lot of learning that needs to happen in these. And it's just a ticking time bomb, these central kitchens. I'm not saying all of them, but there are definitely some central kitchens that are ticking time bomb for massive outbreaks regionally because they're serving so many different restaurants and so many different people. And if there's certain products or certain processes that go wrong, then we can see what happened with the daycare in Canada where hundreds of kids get sick, right? I see probably having another one of those happening, which actually might lead to some sort of at least local legislation state by state or county by county for regulating these central kitchens. I see something like that happening. And I see some, another like edge case type of thing, like the lead in cinnamon. And I don't think it's terrorism. I think it's food fraud. I think companies right now are trying to, food companies are living on small margins and they're going to create fraud. Some of these companies are going to create fraud in order to maximize margins. And they just don't think it's going to get somebody sick. I, I really think it's ignorance. They didn't realize that lead poisoning in in because you know, it came from Ecuador, so it could be just some something from some country where they don't understand that what they're doing is actually going to hurt people. All they think is adding weight, zero flavor, all that stuff, and more people are going to get sick that way. I I just see it. I think we need to get a grip on the e-commerce food. Yes. Oh, yeah. We need to get a grip on the e-commerce food. The lack of control there is unbelievable. When you were talking about the central kitchens, that made me think about that. It's like the Wild West. I mean, it's, you know, are we going to have another daily harvest situation? Yep. It's entirely possible. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because those companies that have what we are talking about this, they have a lot of money because they're trying to create efficiencies or new ways of doing things in a market which has been around for since our existence. Ever since human beings started eating, they were trading for food. 
And, you know, a lot of people are putting a lot of money into new innovations for food. And they're spending a lot of t- money suing people that are talking bad about their practices, but not actually building better practices. And it's like the food safety quality is probably high on their list, but the food safety side of things low on the total bowl. They don't even think about it. And then people get sick and then like, oh, shoot, I had to do this food safety thing. I didn't even think about it. So it's like everybody that gets hired, there's this list of people to hire, CFO, check, CMO, definitely need to market our brands. It's huge that we market. We need to spend millions and millions of dollars marketing it. Da, da, da. And then the 24th person is, oh, yeah, maybe we should make sure our product is safe. Should we get somebody who does something in food safety? Oh, yeah. And so they create these amazing brands and then they kill it because they're not actually protecting them. Right. Well, yeah. And it's like, oh my God, some things would just be so easy. It's like, I, I wish even people knew if they check the temperatures of that stuff when it shows up at your door, you know? Right. I don't know. So yeah, e-commerce, it's growing. It's not going away. You no. know, I get meals at our house now, three days a week. I do check the temperature. They have been good, but yeah, it's convenient. Those meals are convenient. They're very convenient. I, for a period of time had ordered when we first moved, and we're still like unpacking and whatnot. I had ordered from one of those companies and I had not only some temperature issues, but also expiration, expired food. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. It was a couple years ago. Yeah. So I don't know. Not every box that showed up when I was, or it wasn't cold outside. It was earlier in the year, but yeah, we need to, you know, find a way, figure out who's in charge of that and find a way for it to be monitored. Yeah. Oh, any other predictions for 2024? Yeah, I don't think so. We're going to be amazing. I think we are (laughs) going to be amazing. There's going to be some major changes in our podcast and show in 2024, but we're still trying to figure it out. So we can't discuss it, but there are, let's just say the, you guys, our audience is absolutely freaking amazing. Oh yeah, We have grown so much and didn't even think that was going to be the case. And so now we have decisions we have to make. And the decision is not closing the podcast down at all. The decision is what, how, what are we going to do next? Because the audience is so amazing and we can do more. Yeah. So grateful. It's crazy. So grateful. So grateful. Yeah. Never imagined. Okay. What else do we have, Francine? So I saw a post. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) The stuff that people send us and the stuff that we find is absolutely mind blowing. Saw a post that you posted this morning. Somebody had made, I don't know, five gallons of macaroni and dumped it in their kitchen sink. Yes. Yeah. So on LinkedIn, so if you guys are on LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn, Francine and I individually, as well as Don't Eat Poo, because she and I post our own stuff on a daily basis. And yes, I've been able to, from this show, joined a few groups that have amazing content. And yeah, this, this, this person made, yeah, like you said, probably like five gallons of macaroni and dumped it in their sink. and. Let's just say the items around the sink, 
look nasty. It looks like they don't clean so, frequently. I think they literally made the macaroni, took it to the sink, and dumped it in the sink. I don't think oh, there was yeah, any thought process around anything that was happening around the sink prior to that or had happened in the last month. And <laughs> I don't even know if they cleaned the sink. <laughs> dump the macaroni in it it's like now let's just grab some butter some salt and pepper get your forks and let's go eat it (laughs) i think that might be a thing sink macaroni and everybody just like communally just eats from the sink right now corn use is dying right now (laughs) just get the butter salt and pepper you didn't think about that when i posted that (laughs) i i was thinking about all the other like the actual post i put on linkedin was this is why I don't eat a potluck. Does anybody else agree? Because Lord knows you go to these potlucks. Lord knows what their kitchens are like and what their processes are while cooking. I'm, I'm definitely probably not like you and I, Francine, which is okay. Obviously, we're going to be a little bit more anal retentive about our uh, processes within our own kitchen. But come on, like seriously, just dump the macaroni in the sink. And then, yeah, what are they going to do from there? Are they putting it back into the bowl like a bowl? Because that's a lot of macaroni. The whole sink was filled with macaroni. Maybe they're just going to make macaroni salad right in the sink. I can't imagine what you're going to do from there. I don't know. Clearly, maybe they're draining it there. And are they going to dig it out from like down in the hole? Oh, yeah, and use their hands? Well, they're probably going to drain. drain. Oh, I wouldn't. Maybe not. <laughs> like you don't even think I'm they not had betting on or... anything. I'm not betting on anything. Oh man. Uh, yeah. Okay. So definitely, I think next year we're probably going to add a YouTube type of a thing because oh, we, we were talking. To. Oh my gosh, the response this is just yours in my face. Like <laughs> we're talking about things is crazy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, D- day before yesterday. I put the not safe for work, but it's probably because they didn't understand what the image looked like. The picture of washing your hands in the sink, but the sink and the faucet didn't look depending upon how you're looking at the sticker could not may not look like a sink in a faucet. I'm going to be 100 percent honest until somebody said what it was. I'm like trying to figure out what in the world, what is it? Like clearly. And it says, wash your hands. It's a dark sticker in black. It says, wash your hands. And the image is all in white. I didn't blow up my screen. I was looking at it on a, and I didn't blow up the picture. So I'm like, what is that even supposed to be? And I'm looking at it because, so I didn't blow it up. I didn't see the wash your hands (laughs) thing. And I'm like, Matt Rigushi, you've lost your freaking mind. Like, they're going to knock you off LinkedIn. (laughs) 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 You're going to be among the banished. (laughs) Like, yeah, probably. I think it was Greg, maybe, that said what it was. I don't know who it was that said what it was, but I'm just like, I mean, someone put on them. There is, there has to be, I don't know, 30 something comments, 40 comments now on this. It's probably the most widely viewed post I've. I posted on LinkedIn all, all year long. Like we're talking thousands and thousands of impressions, 30 something comments. <laughs> and somebody commented last night on there. This is the best list of one liners I've ever seen on <laughs> LinkedIn. <laughs> Cause all the people were just like writing. Someone said on there, yeah, you should probably wash your hands after doing that. <laughs> someone put on there like hashtag not safe for work, but literally it's a sticker on a soap dispenser in a facility 
for washing your hands. So yeah. yeah, if you guys are building anything out, like picture wise, image wise, I think Francine, you have a class on it. Yes. It might be a good one to talk about not only just taking pictures, but whatever images you utilize well, should probably like, be These images affect your brand, you know? It's like, it's really important <laughs> what you post. And images, a perfect example of how the images that you post affect your brand. And what does it say yes. about my brand, Francine? Oh, my, our brand, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> our brand. <laughs> no, I think you Oh my God. So yeah, I showed that to my husband and I was like, look at this picture. <laughs> Just, I think he wonders, is this, you guys get paid to do this? <laughs> Not that it's, one. It's a byproduct. <laughs> <laughs> it's a byproduct. Yeah. So again, don't put make macaroni in your, and just dump the macaroni in your sink, particularly if it's not sanitized and all that stuff. And if you're, if you're in the food safety world, and you're posting images about washing your hands or whatever, maybe make sure that image gets through some sort of editorial process so that people are actually thinking about washing their hands and not other things while... If you don't have a team, give me a call. If you do have a team, <laughs> if you do have a team, give me a call because yeah. <laughs> this stuff's important. <laughs> or if you are creating that type of content and you just want us to look at it and potentially make fun of it, shoot it over to us too because we would love to view it we're up for the fun stuff <laughs> all right well we're wrapping up this year and we're ready for the next yes we are wait for it it's 2024 all right well let's end the year correctly and let's just not eat poop yeah for the rest of 2023 poop. it'll be the same next year don't eat poop <laughs> don't eat poop <laughs>